G'day trail runners, welcome to episode 14 of the Trail Runners Experience. On today's episode, I'll be talking with UTMB finisher and Heisen 105 and Eurobella champion, Andrew Hoff. Andrew joins me via Skype from Iceland and he gives me a rundown of his amazing experience at the UTMB this year. So sit back and enjoy the show. Okay, so here we are. I'm sitting down with Andrew Hoff. It's pronounced Hoff, I think. Um, I'll have to ask yeah, him. Yeah, that's the one, mate. The man himself, Andrew Hoff, joining me over the internet all the way from the land of ice known as Iceland. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, thanks, Dan. It's great to talk to you, mate. Yeah. Um, so you're, you're in Iceland right now and you're enjoying the trip? Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, you know, obviously just finishing UTMB. It's, it's nice just having some downtime with, um, with my family. And, and yeah, Iceland is just an incredible place to explore. So having a really good time. Yeah, that's amazing. What a what a great way to relax after a huge race, hey. Um, so yeah. And you're um before we jump into your UTMB story, you've just um for people who don't know, you're a Adelaide based runner. Um, do you want to just give us a little bit of background about um where you, your running has come from in the last few years, perhaps, or or, or further. Yeah, sure. Like, um, I suppose I've run for a little while. Like, I did some road running and um, and done a couple of marathons when I lived back in London back in 2007 and 2008. Just done a bit of road running for a while. And then um, I'd always heard about Eurobella back home. And, and then when we came back from our last trip overseas uh, four years ago, I thought, right, I'm finally going to give this Eurobella a try, you know, and uh, I want to try and see how these ultra marathons go. So, yeah, four years ago, I did my first Eurobella. Um, and just that hurt like anything, but I just fell in love with the people and the trails and, and the distance and the challenge. And and from there, just, you know, I kept saying to Lara and my wife, just, you know, one more race, honey, let's just, you know, let's keep stepping it up and having a look. And, and <laughs> the more you talk to people, the more you find out these awesome races and you just want to, you know, keep trying them and, and checking them out and, and raising the distance and the bar a little bit on yourself. And, and you know, sort of four years on, <laughs> you know, I... I can confess I'm addicted. You know, I love I love the ultra trail running and the trail scene and the people and, and everything that's brought. So yeah, the last four years has been pretty incredible. And, and to suddenly sort of, you know, find myself doing the dream race UTMB um, four years down the track from starting was, was pretty cool. It's pretty quick. It's a pretty quick um, progression in the sport that you've had, like going from, you know, road run, road marathons, just starting your first ultra and then running what is essentially the ultimate tra- ultra trail race in the world with UTMB, and um, so you know it's a steep, it's a like I said, steep and quick learning curve, and um, so you've um, obviously been a good, a quick study in some ways. Have you always had? Have, so you said you're a bit of a runner. Did you do any other sports prior to running? Like, did you, did you have like a sporting background? I grew up playing tennis and, um, you know, so I grew up playing a lot of tennis until I was about 15 and did a little bit of, just a little bit of running at school. But after that, no, my life took a different turn and I, I just did weights and gym for a while and, and then 
took yeah. up a very social side of life. So I dropped away doing a lot of exercise and, uh, you know, there was a lot of partying and drinking and, and things like that. But yeah. um, slowly that all changed. That's good. No, um, oh, look, that's a, I think that's a pretty normal thing that a lot of people go through in their life. I, I was also a bit of... I, I did my sports when I was younger, and then I then I discovered partying and having fun, and and then so all the sports stuff sort of falls to the background. But then it's not too yeah. little older that it gets a bit more, uh, you know. I guess you you make you either make good choices or bad choices as you get older, and so obviously you've made some good choices, <laughs> you know. Um, but the um the the weight stuff, I I I did actually. I think I saw a picture of you as a weight back in the day when you used to do some weights, and you were quite a a chunky, chunky man in terms. Yeah, yeah, you had some good. good some... Yeah, I think I think when I look back, I've always you know like I was always a skinny kid, so it was like I hated being skinny, and so I suppose that was this early sign that I, I kind of get addicted to things where I put everything into it. So I went from being a a 70 kilo kid to almost 100 kilos and I just you know I was just doing weights and sort of kind of got obsessed with that and then you know then it just slowly shifted to running I suppose when I realized that you know being big and muscly was one thing but you know I wasn't flexible I wasn't fit I wasn't healthy I didn't have that balance of life yeah Did... and, uh, and so you know running came naturally then yeah I was just going to say I'm just from like a like a physiological point of view do you think that like having the um that background of weightlifting and being strong, and even though you were big and you've obviously had to slim down, do you think that strength has really carried through into your running in some way? Not, not so much maybe the physical, uh, like the muscle attributes, maybe some of that has, but it was more the training and what they did mentally. Like, you know, to, to get the muscle growth that I needed, you, I knew you needed to push hard. You had to go into the pain zone. You had to push those last one or two reps out. So it's kind of like training for running. You know, if you, you really want to make that growth, you've really sometimes got to, you've really got to push yourself beyond your comfort, and that's where you can make the greatest gains, you know, in a safe way as well, as, as long as your technique and all that sort of stuff is good. So um, I think that was probably some big takeaways from doing the weight weight stuff early on. Yeah, oh, that's excellent. Yeah, so definitely a focused uh, a focused individual. So coming forward into your your running and um, you're preparing for ultras and stuff. And, and I've, I've followed you. I mean, I've I've known you. I think I may have met you um, around the time you did your first Eurobilla. And I think I I had a few chats with you along the way, and we sort of got. And like many relationships, you know, we just sort of built up from one race to the next. Hey, yeah. you, know, you know, you sort of see someone after, and uh, you get to know them that way. And that um, that's the beautiful thing about the, the running, trail running sport, I think, is everyone's it's just easier to make yeah. friends that way. But um, you are, um, you're training, you've, you've sort of, you've jumped into some pretty serious training over the last couple of years. And uh, that's with... You've been training under Brendan Davies from Up Coaching. Tell me about that experience. Yeah. Well, basically, when I first started getting into, I did my first Durabilla, and then, you know, when I came back home, there's two people I knew who were really good at ultras, and one was Deej. And, uh, you know, so I said, right, when I get back, I've got to get in touch with Deej and learn a lot from Deej. And, and I spent a lot of time with Deej, and I crewed for him at, at Heisen 105 that year after I did. Um, Urabella and and Deej was getting coached by Brendan and Deej had an, an incredible run and he was so strong and and you know he raved about the benefits of coaching with Brendan and I thought right 
um, if I'm going to do this, I want to get the right guidance so I don't overtrain and I do things smartly, you know, because I've done things in the past even with weight training where you just, you're not doing the right training. You can, you can do that for months on end and you're not really getting all the benefits from the time you put in. So that long story short, I spoke to Brendan and he had space and, and, you know, I started working with him from there. So that was, you know, we've been together, sounds like a relationship for over three years now, three and a half years. And, and it's, you know, we know each other really well and it's, it's been going great. Yeah. I think it's funny you say it's a bit like a relationship. I mean, it absolutely is like a relationship, a coach and a runner. Yeah, yeah. You know, because, I mean, as a coach myself, one of the things that I didn't expect when I went into coaching was you're dealing with a lot of the emotional side of the athlete as well. And, absolutely. Um, you know, yeah. the highs and lows of training, you know, it's not all... It's not all peaches and cream for the athlete because nah. got, yeah. So sometimes you probably have those low points, and as Brent Brendan's helped you through a lot of that time, I imagine. Not that you seem like the kind of person that has a lot of uh, lows. You're optimistic and everything, but uh, how has Brendan helped you in that regard? I think it's it's good. Like like you said, during the training and stuff, Brendan generally knows if he sets me something, I'm going to smash it out. And it's more come race time. Um, you know, and it's, it's building up those mental strategies and stuff as well come race time and how to deal with those challenging moments. Yeah. Um, but, you know, he knows me now. He knows how he can push me. He knows when I probably need to back off from the training because I might be pushing too hard and, you know, starting to build up some residual fatigue and things like that. But, you know, yeah, it's just, just he seems to be able to know when to slowly build me up for races when I need to back off a little bit. Um, but generally going into races as well, it's... it's um, knowing my strengths and probably knowing when I'm going to need that extra little nudge, you know, when I'm getting into those, those low points. Yeah. No, I, I spoke to Brendan and he's got, he's a, he's a pretty insightful man. Like he definitely knows how to arti- oh, yeah. articulate what he wants. I think very clearly, you know, like, and so I think you, you did well there. And, um, yeah, I've got a lot of respect for him, not just as an athlete, but as a coach. And I mean, I, he just busted out yeah. a, a, a pretty, um, a pretty decent time at the world 100k championship yeah. you know just over seven yeah. hours you know phenomenal running but um yeah yeah so he's still he inspired you know what i mean he still inspires me as a runner because he's still just at the top of his game and and um you know and he can he he spreads himself across whether it's a 5k park run or 100k road or 170k you know mountain race yeah. He just does them all and he does, you know, so competitive at all levels. And that's probably one thing he's tried to rub off on me is not to try and diversify yourself a little bit. Like Brendan's still really big on doing speed training and, and tempo and stuff like that, even though we might be doing mountain races. And that's really helped helped me as well on the ultra running, I think. And um, so a lot of his philosophies have obviously come through on how he trains me. And, and I think it's definitely paid dividends and stuff, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I noticed, I mean, I was going to say this before, but I got sidetracked. Um, you're um in your training i you know i follow you on strava and i and like all good coaches i um i pick i pick people's strava apart in a positive way because i like you know it's there in the public domain and i like to learn as a coach i learn from other athletes and other coaches and you know it's not you know and one of the things that i really um have always been interested in that you do i mean training for a race like utmb you've obviously had to do quite a lot of elevation and um but you also do a lot of flat running and um a lot of people when i tell them about running flat they think it's a waste of time and can you give us some insight into your flat running and how it prepared you for 
UTMB. I know because you live in you live in like the flattest part of Adelaide, don't you? You live down by the water there somewhere. I know. <laughs> yeah. Um, and that's been a little bit part of it because I live near, near the beach and we're a one-car family and and so I'm 35, 40 minutes from the hills. So I generally only get to do the hills probably on a Thursday when I do hill repeats and then my long Sunday runs. So we've kind of just had to work around that. And um, I think Brendan still would have me doing a lot of the fast flat stuff I do anyway, but it's all about running economy and efficiency and stuff too. So, you know, if I'm doing tempo and speed work and – I'm doing speed sessions where I'm banging out some some 400s at three minute pace, and or doing you know 3k reps at 3:30 pace, and then you know I come to an ultra when I'm just cruising at six minute pace. Now that's a really really easy effort for me. Yeah. Um, so you know you're building you're running economy and efficiency. So when I come to do sort of hold those really easy paces in a long ultra, it's it, it is quite easy for me to maintain that. Yeah. Um, and so I've. You know, and he's just slowly built that up over time. And next thing you know, I've, I've got the speed in my legs. And it was just very subtly each week or every second week, just slowly, just nudging up that pace that he wanted me to hold for some of those speed or tempo sessions. Yeah. And and next thing you know, you kind of got that pace up, and then you can run that average pace in a longer race, and it, it feels a lot more comfortable. You know. Yeah. My cruise speed is, is a lot better. Yeah, that's a really um, a really excellent description of it, man. Like I um, yeah, that's perfect. People, I think. Yeah, running economy is so important in these longer races, for these longer races, you know. You, as you say, you want to be able to sit back and just cruise because you've got... Absolutely. So, I mean, the biggest, the biggest challenge... Oh, okay, what would you say is the biggest challenge in this race, something like UTMB? Is it the distance or is it the elevation or is it the time? I mean, obviously, it's the time you're on your feet. To, you know, is there any one thing or is it just the combination? It's a combination, you know, like for some people, they're out there for a long time. You're talking, some people are 35 to 46 hours, you know, and that's a long time out on feet. You've got two nights potentially, so that's sleep deprivation and stuff once you go into that second night more so. Um, it is, you know, the distance, 171 k's is a long way, 10,000 metres of climbing. That is a lot of climbing. I think for me, the climbing, if you've conditioned yourself well enough, and you know there's a lot of if you've conditioned yourself well enough and paced yourself well enough and running efficiently then then probably the climbing is less of an issue um with the climbing and descending but um yeah it, it, it comes back to how well you've prepared yourself i think yeah um you know if you've prepared, prepared yourself well and i felt like i had prepared myself well so i felt relaxed going into it um but yeah, the distance. But the thing is, with the distance, anything can happen. So no matter how strong and fit you think, a lot can happen over 171 k's in that time on feet. You know, a number of different problems can arise, whether it's nutrition issues, whether it's other little niggles, um, or just general fatigue. And so you've just got to be able to manage through those things. Yeah, um, that no, that's really interesting. So I was just going to say, with that, I'm just lo- right now. I'm actually looking at a map of the of your race, UTMB, um, and it's yeah. just, it's, a, it's off the web, the race website, and so I was hoping you could sort of take us through a little bit of the race, you know, so it starts in Chamonix in France, and then you work your way around, yeah. and you and you cross the border into, a, where are you crossing to another country? Well, we cross into Italy. Italy, yeah, and then you cross back in, and, into uh, Switzerland. 
and then we crossed into Switzerland, and then we obviously then towards then we crossed back into the France to finish back in Chamonix as well. So yeah, yeah, it sounds pretty crazy running through three countries, but you know it's it's around the Mount Blanc Massive, so that massive actually obviously just crosses through the three countries, which are all really close together. Yeah, um, you know, and uh, it's it's pretty fascinating. You know, it's an incredible trail. Tell us about the um the the race atmosphere at the start, like and how it all went down. Oh. <laughs> The race, the race atmosphere was just, you know, you see, for a lot of people have seen the video clips and stuff, the race atmosphere just looks crazy, and, and it was. Um, this year, originally we weren't supposed to have rain, but then suddenly the weather changed and it was raining at the start. Um, so, uh, you know, and normally we got there about an hour and a half before the start, and we're expecting there to be so many people. We've heard the rumours that, you know, a lot of people turn up hours before, they want to get a good start. And so you're left there for ages. We ended up, no one must have turned up that early because of the weather. So we were actually really close to the elites and right near the start, which is great. Oh, good. Um, and, and yeah, really stoked for that because we thought we were just going to be basically walking the first 10 minutes as we sort of, you know, got through all the crowds. But, um, but despite the weather, you know, the, the atmosphere that they create there, all the supporters, all the locals and, and everyone and, you know, the, the playing the music and talking the elites through as they come up to the start line and, and, you know, then they have this dude on the electric guitar just right above us, just jamming out, you know, to this major <laughs> song just before the start. So, and and then and then it starts and you're just going through the streets of Chamonix and there's just people everywhere just cheering and hollering and kids high-fiving. And you've actually got that for like, you know, uh, the first sort of K or two and then it thins out. But, you know, there's, there's people, quite a lot of the parts for the first sort of 20K in different areas that, um, are just you know cheering you on and high fiving you and, and it's it's just an incredible atmosphere. I really try to get into it as much as I could because you know you just don't experience that in a lot of your races. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, that it sounds. I mean, the, the images that I saw online, it was it was fairly co- covered fairly well, um, but it, yeah, the images were amazing yeah. and just they um it, you could hear the music as well and it sounded quite epic. <laughs> you know they. Oh yeah, it definitely was. Uh, it was yeah. crazy. Yeah. So you um, so you've got um, if you, I I really wouldn't mind going through a little bit of a breakdown of the race. I don't know if you um, if you mind doing that with us. Yeah. Um. So just because no, yes. I, I one of the things that I really enjoyed is on the um, on the the run tracker we could track your progress in real time and at each aid station and that was very exciting and yeah you know, and then at certain aid stations it, there was the video the live feed of you so we could see you running through yeah yeah. yeah it was really cool and especially early on because it starts late in the evening too doesn't it, it starts at six o'clock at night is that right it's a, yeah that's right yeah that's right uh, that must be a bit of an unusual thing like to <laughs> so you have no you have no choice but to run through the night so yeah. Yeah, it is. It is a bit of an unusual one, and um, you know, and I'm an, I'm normally an early morning runner. I'm used to races starting first thing in the morning. So, but it was it was fine. You know, you just kind of got used to it, and you know, you've actually got a couple of hours of sunlight, and then and then you're into darkness, and then the first night of running. So, um, and in a way, if, if you know, if you have a good run, then you're really only going to have one night of darkness. You know, depending. Um, but uh, yeah, I for suppose... most people, they're going to get you know two nights. It'd be good to run through the dark while you're still fresh, I suppose. But, um, well, actually, that's the way I kind of looked at it too. Like, yeah. I'm fresh. Um, I didn't mind you running through the dark. I think, yeah, that was a good way of sort of thinking about it as well. And then, you know, you get up, the, the sun's coming up, and, and you might have done, you know, 
60 to 80k depending on how you've been going or 90 and and then you know then you've got sunlight to sort of and the day ahead to sort of as things just start getting harder unless you've got a bit more light because you generally move slow in the dark as well yeah because you the sort of the visibility in that was it was it slippery out on the course like when you because there was rain yeah it was it was a little bit um in certain sections like obviously we had a bit of rain for the first oh gosh i can't even remember now it's all a bit of a blur but it was raining probably for the first 30 maybe 40k and then even the descent down to Shafir. um please do excuse my pronunciations of some of the names of the places oh. i know they're probably hardly wrong mine are, um, i'm gonna say yeah, mine are so, worse <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, there were some slippery sections. Like it was nowhere near as bad as they had it last year. I think conditions last year were really bad. They had lots of rain throughout the race, but um, there certainly were some sections that were slippery, especially through that first night. Yeah. Um, but the, the when the day, you know, it actually cleared up that night, and uh, the stars were out, and it was actually turned into a beautiful night. And um, I think we really didn't have a lot more rain after that, which was really good. And yeah, so we're pretty fortunate. It wasn't as bad as it could be, but there were definitely some sections that were slippery, which, um, you know, you just had to be a bit more careful and slower on. Yeah. Um, I mean, you've trained a lot. With, I mean, I said we taught you trained, trained on the flat, but you also did a lot of elevation um, training. And do you feel like um, you had enough elevation under your belt? Absolutely. Like, I... I I, I, going into this, I felt really strong with the climbing. I was more concerned about the descending, just the impact of 10,000 metres on your quads if you weren't running efficiently, you know. Yeah. Um, but I had no concerns about the climbing. I think I'd done enough, you know. For, for all of the climbing, you're pretty much power hiking. Um, but like everything, you've got to sort of, for me, it's about moving with purpose. So you can just cruise, but, you know, you, you, you're not making good time. So it's just hiking with good purpose and hiking strongly up those, those really steep climbs and, um, I felt those were probably okay. I had some issues later in the race where, where they weren't okay, but yeah. you know, we can get to that later. Yeah, um, absolutely. So I'm just looking at the uh, your elevation profile. So your first sort of reasonable climb was you're looking at started at about only about ten kilometres into the race, and so yeah. Um, but it was by no means the biggest climb. Um, and again, I mean pronunciation is definitely not one of my strong points. But um, so but um. Do you, though, what was sort of the more difficult climbs of the race? Like, obviously, later on, you're getting up over two and a half thousand metres, aren't you? So, um, yeah, and I suppose it's you know, some of the early ones, uh, most of the climbs, you know, had some pretty steep parts to them, but they weren't as bad as I thought some of them were going to be. But you know, you've got the one, um, uh, Col, the second one, the second major climb, that's the longest sort of climb. Colbach or Bohemia or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's it's quite gradual at the start, quite steep, but that wasn't too bad because that's only a second major climb. Um, it's probably ones a little bit later, like um, after Cormier at 80 k's, you've got the climb out of there to Batoni. Um, that's short and steep, but then you've got another big climb after that up to Col Fleuret, and that's one of the highest points. And I think uh, you know yes. you're coming up to come- maybe 100 k's in the race. Yeah, and for most people, it's it's sunrise and it's a new day and it's a hundred k's in and, and it, that can pinch a little bit. Yeah. Um, but I, I really think the ones that really naturally impact people are the, the two or three last big climbs of the race. You know, you're a hundred and thirty k's in. You know, you're tired. You've been on your feet for a while, and, and those last three climbs can still be pretty steep. And mm. and if your legs aren't in good shape, then it's it's going to be pretty tough going. And that's coming into uh, was it like Champex? Is it or Champex? 
Slack, yeah, yeah Shantalak, Shantalak. You know, Shantalak at 123. You know, for me... I was always kind of thinking that was where the race began. I wanted to make sure I got Shampalak in a pretty decent state because I think that's where most people start falling apart. And, and those last three climbs kill them and they, they lose a lot of time and it's a lot of positions. So, and I, you know, I wanted to make sure I got there pretty feeling pretty good. That is interesting you say that because watching your progress through the race is you basically were just picking away. I think you were a bit of a hunter during the race because early on I saw that you were about 100 and sitting in about a hundred and something place and um which is still amazing but you just through the attrition rate and just uh, probably your steadiness yeah you just just, you're just plugging away and you know i think later in the race you definitely um pulled away at a few more people you know so and you got got you in in 60th or something wasn't it 60th place yeah, 60th in the end day. Yeah. yeah, so that that um, I think that strategy worked for you then, by the sounds of it. Um, that's pretty awesome. <laughs> yeah. it, it did. I was I was sort of hoping to get. To, I was sort of just hoping to cruise to Champalak and then really dig it in and really start increasing my positions from there. So, um, but that didn't happen. I had had some issues, so I actually uh, started going backwards a little bit and then on the last final climb I started getting overtaken because I was having some trouble so uh, okay. um, it didn't it didn't quite go all to plan how I wanted I really wanted to start Jeez. really picking off and pushing hard on, from Shampalak and, and unfortunately I had some breathing issues that I, I couldn't really put my finger on and oh, okay. I just started losing losing some steam on the climbs and it, it really cost me some time and, and in the end some placings as well. Was the breathing issue, do you think it had something to do with the elevation or perhaps just well, pure fatigue? Well, I, I generally don't, th- I don't know. I th- you know, I talked about it with Brendan afterwards and I was trying to put my finger on it. It was really, I felt like I was an asthmatic and I've never been an asthmatic, I don't know what that feels like, but uh, no, I just couldn't catch my breath and this was even on some flats. I was just I was just heaving, you know, and it was yeah. an easy effort so I should have, I should have been conversation talking, but, um, and then, you know, I had the two last really big climbs and I was just puffing and I just could not catch my breath and um, it was really frustrating because the legs still felt strong and I just couldn't work out what was, yeah. what was going wrong and, and why I was feeling that way. So I just I couldn't power up those climbs like I wanted to. That's when I wanted to be picking off people and, and really charging and I wasn't. I was getting picked off on the last climb and having just to watch people go past me. Well, obviously not too many people went past you, but, I mean, yeah, I, I can imagine for a, your plan, I think, generally worked well. Yeah. You know, like generally... But, uh... Yeah, it did. It did. You know, the the intention was there. And I think, you know, Lara and Brendan probably tell me a bit more easy on myself. But, you know, at 170k race, the, the chances of having, and Brendan's told me this many times, the perfect race and everything going to plan is, is so slim. You know, there's always often challenges that come up and it's how we adapt to those challenges. And this was just something that I hadn't experienced before and it kind of threw me off a bit. And, um, yeah. But still just tried to manage it as best I could and try and stay positive, which... I'm not sure how well I did, but I think I did okay at times. Other times, you know, the mind is such a big factor out there that uh, if you lose control of that, then you lose control of your race. Yeah, absolutely. It sounds like you had um, just some respiratory fatigue, which is um, something that they've yeah. been doing a lot more research into. And, um, just your your lungs get tired, you know, because it, just from being yeah. worked for so long. And so people don't really think about that so often in races anymore. I mean, oh, at all. So it's because it's a new thing. You know, everyone thinks, oh, my legs are tired. I'm generally fatigued. But you, your lungs and, and your chest is doing a lot of work. 
you know. So um, it's something, yeah. uh, I don't know. I, I have um, done a little bit of reading about that and I, I'm definitely something to do more reading about. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, it's good that you're able to at least keep it together enough to uh, to finish still in a pretty damn good spot. Um, so I was just going to ask you about... Um, the, uh, with the live feed, oh, it wasn't a, I wasn't on the live feed. There was a there's a great video of you on on YouTube, oh, Facebook. Uh, uh, I think Lara, your wife, was filming as you came into one of the aid stations, and um, it was a beautiful oh, little yeah. video. And you saw you you saw your wife and your daughter for the first time in probably ages. T- tell us about that because it looked like it was just a good moment. A great moment. Oh, it is. And, you know, I get pretty emotional. And I love my wife and my baby girl. And, and you know, my emotions, well, I think most, a lot of us runners do, probably it gets heightened when you're doing, you know, you're pushing yourself on these extreme events. And, and just seeing them when I hadn't seen them all night. And I was probably, that was coming to Champalak and I'd start having these breathing issues. And I was like, oh, honey, you know, this is this is not where I wanted to be. And But she was my rock. And yeah. she just said, you know, Andrew, I love you. You're doing well. You're doing strong, and and you just you keep yeah. doing this. You know, you know what to do out there, and it's just yeah, it means so much to see them because you sacrifice and they sacrifice so much in your pursuit of your dreams and your goals. Yeah. And um, you know, and, and that's why it's important for me to give everything out there. You know, even when things get tough, I I didn't sacrifice all that time with them and train hard. Yeah. To give up as soon as it starts getting a little bit difficult. You know, that's the nature of our sport. Exactly. And, um, just gotta, you just gotta, you know, and it's, but you still need reminding no matter how many times you go on with strategies to deal with those moments, the mind is powerful and and you need reminding, no, you can do this. And and just having a loved one support you through that is is really important. Yeah. I think in a couple of years, in a couple of years, your daughter is going to grow up and look at all your achievements and and videos like that one of you coming into that aid station. She's going to look at that and realize how much you love her, you know, and how much you loved her then. Oh yeah. And it, it's so, like it is. I, I look. I'm a. I'm an emotional runner. When I am in a race, I, you know, I, I wear it on my sleeve. You know, wear my heart yeah. on my sleeve, and it's, and I, I think, you know, it's it's a, it's one of the beautiful things about the sport, especially when things get hard, and I mean, and it's something like that can really lift your spirits. You know, I've seen my kids in races and stuff, and it's, yeah. and, and, and it does. It's just absolutely lifts you and and in no other not you can get all the high fives from volunteers and that's awesome and but i mean when it's your own flesh and blood out there cheering for you it's pretty um it's pretty special uh, oh it is mate it really is i feel just yeah i feel pretty much just thinking about it but yeah it, is. Yeah. it means a lot yeah you um you probably and then so you're coming you you got through that difficult phase that part and then when you were, when did you know, you know, the, the race was sort of like you were going to get it? I mean, obviously you knew you were going to get it done, but there's always that doubt. But at what point did you know, okay, this race is almost done? You know, and how, how did that feel? Like to know that it was almost done and dusted? And it's, it's funny, you know, I, I suppose one thing I've done, I started to do over the last couple of years is really not celebrate until I'm across that line. Yeah. Um, you know, Eurobella last year wasn't until I crossed that line, and and UTMB it was like you know because we still had quite a technical descent and it had gone dark and and you know you're fatigued and you're just trying to think right focus you know I've lost some places can I make some up on this descent and and don't fall over on these roots and these rocks you know and and uh, bust yourself you know three kilometres before the finish or whatever so you're still really focused and it's like 
right, just keep moving. And then suddenly you just pop out into the streets and then someone's like, you're only a K away or, oh. you, you know, it's coming close and you can hear the crowds. And then you start thinking, wow, this is, this is close. This is real. But it, it's, it's almost surreal as well. You know, is this really happening? And it's not till you're around the corner. And, you know, for me, I was lucky. It was probably about 9.30 at night when I was coming in. So there was heaps of people still around the city cheering people on. Mm. And then just the roars start coming up and you're like, wow. <laughs> and, you know, I was feeling like shit. I was pretty exhausted. Yeah. And it just lifts you up and you just think, oh, my gosh, you know, I'm going to see my girls. I'm just about to finish this. And and just the crowd. And, you know, you probably you might have seen the video of me coming to the finish. Yeah. It just lifts you. And you think, wow, you know, this 171K journey and, and you know, you want it's kind of a lifetime in the making you know all, all the different things have helped prepare for this moment in this race and and you know you put so much into it and and now you know you're finally crossing that line and uh yeah it's, it's a it's a wonderful feeling and to, to have people around you um that, that you've loved and supported you through it is great too yeah oh that's that's great um you um yeah no i, I love that feeling especially when in a bigger race like i've never i mean obviously i've never done something as big as utmb the closest I can equate it to was um, my first marathon back when I did the Sydney Marathon uh, a number of years ago. And um, the way the race is set up, you finish, in, you come through the um, circular quay in Sydney and you come through and it's quite crowded and you're running through a fairly narrow passage and, and it's just yeah. people on either side of you. And it was a similar kind of situation. The last sort of two kilometres or maybe kilometre just people everywhere and you just I remember I I went from feeling like crap to feeling like a rock star and I was just I was just running down the passage high-fiving everybody <laughs> you know oh and it's like you said it's a great feeling it just lifts you up and, and yeah. you know not that you need to feel like a rock star but for that moment you just feel like wow you know I feel really special and I feel like I've done something great and and just that energy, you know, energy is just it's uplifting. And uh, that positive energy from everyone is just a great way to finish, you know, yeah. a challenging race, whatever it is. It's the culmination of all those uh, 4 a.m. starts to training <laughs> runs and, and like, remembering all that. And, and I know you, you've had plenty of those kinds of starts, you know, like... Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, you, if oh, you yeah. did that in isolation, if there wasn't a go an end goal in mind, you would have to be seen as a crazy person to be getting up at four o'clock every morning to run through the mountains, run through the hills. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. But no, yeah. it's, um, yeah, well, you got there and you did it. And, um, and now, and you've, um, yeah, you've got UTMB under your belt and lots of people didn't finish this year. And um, you've, the, some of the best in the world, the, 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 some of the, most oh, the elite no. men, so many DNFs this year is insane. So you've got like Killian. It's um, it's it's crazy. Yeah, that um, I was I was actually really disappointed to see so many DNFs in in the in the men's. You know, like they um, I guess they 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 were racing hard some of them, and I know I mean Killian's the only one I think that had a legitimate excuse because he got stung by a bee. Yeah. <laughs> And I know Tim. I know Tim Thompson. Obviously, he had a fall, I believe, and, and cut up his leg. And and I think they told him he had to stop at one point, or he needed to get flown out to get that properly seen to and stuff. Oh wow! Um, I saw Jim Wormsley at Champalak. I was running with this guy, and we got to the aid station, tapping on the shoulder. He goes, "Have you ever beaten Jim Wormsley in a race?" And he points behind me, and Jim Wormsley's sitting there, and I'm like, "No way!" 
and oh. uh, so I knew. But you know, I wasn't surprised. I know how Jim races, and he obviously goes hard. And I just thought, shit, he's just he's just pushed and he's blown up again or something. But yeah, um, yeah, a lot of DNFs and um, both in the men's and the women's, and it was a real surprise when I finished the race to find out the carnage and stuff. You know, but it's yeah. it's a tough it's a tough distance, it's a tough race, and, and especially at the elite level, those guys are pushing themselves pretty hard. Yeah, um, I tell you, every everyone here in Adelaide was just absolutely over the moon for your achievement. Like there's probably uh, seriously every you go out go out for a run and like you were like literally the talk of the town. And I know you, you should. You know, I think everyone was behind you and um, were just so. I mean, obviously you could see it on Facebook, but in uh, here in the real. In, in Adelaide, on, on your home trails, you know, people were just like, oh, how good did Andrew go? Oh, my God, he's so good. And, you know, so that was – so you should be very proud of your accomplishment, mate, and um, know that you've got the, the, the city of Adelaide behind you. <laughs> so. I think, um, you know, that, that just reminds me of just uh, – I felt welcomed, you know. I'm a Kiwi imported into Adelaide, and – Everyone's made me feel welcome on the trail scene, the ultra scene, right from the start. And I've fell in love with the community, and and you know it means a lot to me. All the people that I've met over the last four or five years have meant so much to me, and I feel privileged to be part of that. You know, and that everyone you know shares the trails with me, and, and has been so supportive. I think we're all hopefully really supportive of each other on our on our journeys, our running journeys. And yeah. I've certainly felt that at the end. You know, I thought about everyone when I was out there running too, and especially in those tough moments. And and um, some of my good trail friends are saying, what would they say to me? And and I knew everyone was supporting me, and it, it really did mean a lot. So it was good. Yeah, uh, no, good on you, man. Um, so the next the next question is: so you're on your you're on a big trip with your family. You're traveling the world for the next twelve months, right? And um, yeah, that's right. So can you just um, fill us in? So what do you have a plan of attack, or are you just going to go wherever the wind blows you for the next twelve months? Well, we've kind of got a plan. We can only be in Europe for so many months on the tourist visa. So we've got a camper van that we've bought and um, we're going to cruise around Europe for two or three months, um, pop into UK for Christmas and New Year, and then we're going to fly to Asia probably mid-January. I think that's basically when our time is probably going to run out. Um, and it's been probably six or seven months in Asia. Like we've already spent uh, sort of well over a year backpacking around Asia. So we wanted to go back with Daisy and, and just go to some back to some of our favourite countries like Thailand and and Nepal and, and maybe explore some new places too like the Philippines and Sumatra and places like that so but it's all very much Asia's going to be by the seat of our pants we'll just see how we're feeling and, and you yeah. know having a two-year-old with us will take things a lot slower than we normally used to um and and you know I'm going to put a call out to trail running friends I might try and see if I can rustle up a bit of a uh, a trail running expedition in the Himalayas maybe in April May next year so if yeah, right. anyone's keen I'll put the shout out huh. and um but uh, no racing plans for the next 11, 12 months. It's really just focused on family and enjoying running in the mountains and the trails as we're travelling and then, and then yeah. see, uh, see what's, what happens when we get back to Adelaide. There's, there's always going to be things ticking around the back of my mind. Yeah. Well, make sure you stay fit enough. Don't, get, <laughs> don't enjoy all that, um, all, oh. all the, all, too many um, exotic <laughs> foods. And, no, just kidding. Have, you'll, oh, I'm man, sure you'll stay plenty fit. I put on probably three or four kilos just in the last week and a half since UTMB. I've just been shoveling everything and anything I can down my neck. Yeah, um, good. No, I will. Uh, I'll make sure I stay in uh, stay in shape. I love running and I love exercise and being healthy. So that'll 
that'll go hand in hand with, with the traveling as well. Yeah, absolutely amazing. Um, yeah, really amazing uh, story. Um, so yeah, really, really proud of your accomplishment. And um, I'd, I'd like to be able to tell people that I know this guy that did UTMB and he's a legend. <laughs> and I, um, no, it's, it's, uh, it's really good. I mean, and plus all your other amazing running accomplishments over the last few years have just been so impressive. You know, Heisen, you've, you've won Heisen, you've won Eurobilla. And not just the wins, it's just the way you conduct yourself on the trails, mate. So you're a credit to the community. And um, I'll, I won't keep you for too much longer. We, I, um, yeah, I, I really hope you have a nice time over there as a family and, and be safe and, and enjoy um, all of that the world has to offer and show that, show that daughter of yours what the world has to offer, you know. So it's pretty awesome, man. I, um, but before we go, I, I want to finish off with yeah. I, do, I do a little thing called the Fast Five. Which um, I, I, so I just okay. I ask five questions and you've got to give me your answer sort of in simple, uh, short short answers as much as you can, and um, I do the same five okay. questions. Yeah, so I'll um, I'll just go for it. So question one, I think this, some of these questions might be a bit of a, a bit easy, but I'll say them anyway. Question one, do you prefer roads or trails? Trails. Trails, too easy. Yep. Question two. Uh, favorite running film or documentary? Oh, favorite running film or documentary? Mm. Gosh, I haven't actually seen that many. I'm just trying to think. Running films. I can think of books, but I haven't seen a lot of running films. Well, what's your favorite book uh, then? Favorite running book then? Oh, uh, look. I, look, I'm probably, you know, Born to Run was one that really opened my eyes up with a lot of things and stuff too, as I know I did for a lot of people. So Born to Run was definitely up there for me, just thinking about uh, the roots of running and minimalist running and, and just the beauty of running and stuff as well. So, yeah. Yeah, cool. Yeah, it's a great book. Um, question three. This one might be hard because you might have already achieved it. Your bucket list race. Whoa. So the back of this race was obviously UTMB. Um, yeah, the back of this race is UTMB. Yeah, it's been done, but there's oh, there's just hundreds of races across the planet. So I'm sure there's other ones that uh, there's definitely other ones I want to do. You need to get a new bucket. <laughs> I know, man. I know. Yeah, that's great. Uh, question four: Your favourite post-race treat? Favourite post-race treat? Look. I've been even like pizza, homemade pizza. After my long Sunday training runs, uh, you know, smashing out 50Ks with the vert, I just love to go home and have a big homemade pizza, and that's definitely my post-race. Not that I can eat much after a miler because I'm too stuffed, yeah. but normally, yeah, if I can get it in, pizza and ice cream will probably be up there and chocolate. Nice. Yeah, excellent answer. Um, and your final, final question is, I, I, I want you to finish this sentence. Running gives me... Joy. Joy. Beautiful. Absolutely. That's really good, Andrew. Um, yeah, I will, um, we'll, we'll, on that beautiful note, we'll end this uh, conversation here. And um, I'll, I'll, um, I'll just, um, you can say, I'll say farewell to you on the podcast and we'll see you next time. 
All right, Dan. Look, thank you very much, and thanks to everyone you know in Adelaide community for all their love and support, and and you know just all the best to everyone out there for whatever they're training for. And obviously, we've got Eurobella coming up really soon, and then Heisen, and and um, you know those races are both close to my heart. So I wish everyone a really good run, and and uh, I look forward to hearing about your stories. And and please stay in touch while we're away. I may be a bit slack on social media for a little while. I'm I'm having some downtime, but um, please people stay in touch. Hey, I, I, you mean a lot to me. Awesome. Uh, all right. Okay, goodbye, Andrew Hoff. That brings us to the end of episode 14 of the Trail Runners Experience. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Andrew Hoff as much as I did. If you did enjoy this episode, think about sharing it with your friends on social media. I'd really appreciate it, and it would help to get the podcast out to a bigger audience. So anyway, until next time, I'm Coach Daniel Ferugia. See you later.